0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post cred Pod. We are continuing our Marvel Deep Dive, doing our weekly kind of reviews, evaluations, random bullshit observations about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier after doing the same for all nine episodes of WandaVision. But first, before we get into the second episode, the Star-Spangled Man, which is I know that has comics roots, but I still just love that name because it's so stupid and goofy, but, like, intentionally so. Like, you know, the Star-Spangled Man. Whole well, that whole. was
1: that was what they called Cap in Cap 1, right? Like, it's yeah. in that song, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's just, like, it's, like, deliberately hokey.
1: Right, yeah. As, as I love pretty it. much the entire character.
0: Yeah, that's true. And also, you know, as we've said on this pod before, Captain is a, is a middle rank. That man went 90 years without a promotion. Damn. <laughs> Before we get into that, let's jump into some of the uh, the news of the last couple of days, the trending hot topics. Uh, starting with the Suicide Squad trailer from James Gunn. Eric, I'm not gonna lie. You know, I've I've been hyped for this for a long time. Uh, I love James Gunn. I thought the uh, the trailer was fine, but maybe not quite as exciting as I was hoping it'd be. It, it looked, I don't want to say dumb, because that's a reductive word. It just looked a little bit more uh silly than i than i thought it was going to be not that james gunn isn't a great comedian with great humorous style but i don't know it was lacking some sort of uh edge and uniqueness to me
1: yeah i hear it <laughs> here i am once again get worried about a dc <laughs> new film what else is new
0: I, i'm not worried i don't want to say that it just didn't look as good as i hoped from a james gunn movie Is that a,
1: right and to To try and A-B test that theory, I went back and watched Guardians trailer to to see if I'm judging on the same scale, the same grade. And the Guardians trailers are way better. It's tough because I wonder, since there's a lot of stunt castings, you assume that there's going to be a point where like a bunch of them die, right? right? So I wonder how much they're hamstrung by like a by, like, a first act twist that's gonna upend the film as a whole. You like know?
0: Pete, David's he- Pete Davidson's head is gonna explode at some point, so, guaranteed, right?
1: Yes, yeah, something like that. So I'm wondering if they're not able to really, re- like, yes, we got the reveal that Starro is gonna be the villain, but I just felt like these were, instead of being an actual trailer, just a bunch of teasers sort of Well said. stuck together. It just seemed like a diet James Gunn, you know? It, uh, Despite
0: the fact that this is R compared to the PG-13. Yeah, diet.
1: and just, and I think that, was it you who pointed me out, pointed out to me that if you go back and watch um, Civil War, the, uh, the CGI during the fight scene is not great. Like, when they're standing still, you could really tell they're on a set. Right. And I got that vibe a lot from this trailer. And that shit drives me crazy. You know, say what you will about Suicide Squad 1. Those moments where they're in those city streets, it really feels like they're there. Every moment in this trailer felt like it was on a soundstage and almost as if they were trying to replicate Edge when not actually be edgy
0: and i'm like someone who finds john cena very funny in train wreck and 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 that li- and and other things he's been in and yet his just one liners here like one i'd snicker at and one i'd be like well that this is just dumb and again i don't mean to use the most reductive ineloquent word to describe it it was just overly silly without a winking knowledge nod of what it is it, itself
1: and i think and i think it's problems and again this could be a disconnect with how to market what's going to wind up being a disgusting, raunchy, edgy, R-rated film, and the disconnect between making a two-minute-long trailer that appeals to the masses around that film. So I'm not saying that we we need to condemn this film quite yet. But what I do find odd, and then I wonder if this is coming from WB or James Gunn, Marketing the film, to me, and this is like cringeworthy, as quote, from the horribly beautiful mind of James Gunn, I just find something about that to be so contrived. And that is sort of the issue with Suicide Squad and the DCU to begin with. Like, they were very, you know, they were reactionary into... They were reacting to how audiences responded to the dark BVS by therefore trying to contrive humor and edge and spunk. And it looks like they're doing that same thing again with just a more pastel, brightly coated film. And
0: like just leave it at from the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that's all you need. Yeah, I understand Marvel versus DC. I, no, I don't need
1: all. You know, yeah, I just so we'll see. Um, I'm hoping the next trailer is uh, a little less processed, a little less cut up. Yeah, and just drop a scene of the film. You That's know? what I was about to say. Just do something like that, so we could, because the tone here was like cotton candy commercial. Like there, it didn't. It, it felt like a It feels. Um. Harsh to say, but a ripoff of a James Gunn film. Like, that's what this felt like to me.
0: And I get that they have to introduce so many different characters, and I get that it's a quasi-soft reboot slash pseudo-sequel, but I was about to say, I agree completely, show a scene from a movie rather than, like, here's that new character and that other new character, and here's the overarching mission. I would just love, plop us into one moment, and we'll get, oh, this is more the tone, vibe, and stylistic choice that he's going for. It's the first trailer, though. You know, I think it's important for us to analyze it honestly and and harshly if we feel that way. But in no way, shape, or form are we saying, like, oh, the first trailer was disappointing? I'm out on a James Gunn superhero movie with our boy Idris Elba. Like, we're obviously excited for and that said,
1: And that said, to make him the star of the film is going to seem like a very wise choice because he seems like he's going to be great in this.
0: I hope so. I'm sure he probably will be. All right, moving on to Star Wars. The Obi-Wan cast has confirmed... Production will start in April. It takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. In addition to Ewan McGregor and um, Hayden Christensen, who's returning as Darth Vader. The cast includes Joel Edgerton, who was Uncle Owen in uh, brief scenes in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Kumail Nanjiani, who's a hilarious comedian. He's, um, you know, Silicon Valley. He's also in Eternals. O'Shea Jackson Jr., who was recently in Longshot. Actually, not recently anymore. It was two years ago. Uh Moses Ingram, who's who's blowing up, she was great in uh, Queen's Gambit, uh Indira Varma, who was awesome as the Sand Snake mom in Game of Thrones, Bonnie P. S. And I know I'm butchering that, but she actually played Baru in the in the prequels. Uh Sung Kang, who I believe is Han in uh the Fast up. and Furious movies, Benny safty of the Safdie Brothers directing team, who I do want to point out, I put this out on Twitter. I had the pleasure of interviewing the Safties for Uncut Gems. And, and Benny started his college career like in biology or like medical engineering. It was like the most academic thing ever. He says he wasn't loving it. He was talking to his brother and his brother was like, yo, just check out one film course with me. And like the rest That's- is history. Now he's like a Hollywood guy. I love These it.
1: Fucking people. It's unbelievable. Like how do you get through your like, how do you go that long in life not knowing that you have this incredible filmmaking talent?
0: Like, you just, and, he, and he's a solid actor.
1: Unbelievable.
0: So as you know I'm really pumped for Obi-Wan series because Obi-Wan's my favorite character in the whole Star Wars saga and I got to be honest man this cast is banging like top to bottom I'm like oh I like that person I like that person that person was great in that thing that I saw like I'm really impressed with the talent they've put together and I'm absolutely here for the Kumal Nanjiani, like glow up as like a full on you know star it yeah, franchise okay. in franchise I'm 100% Just for stacking
1: it. those checks. Yeah, exactly. After it, dude. And then go make the big sec, too. No, and kidding. he's uh,
0: also a co-creator on Little America, which is actually, I think, uh, Apple TV Plus's best overall show. So go check that out.
1: The fact that they're going to start filming next month suggests that we'll probably get the show around this time next year.
0: Yeah. So I mean that would be really exciting and that that could be a bridge in between like Book of Boba and Mando 3 or something like that. Yeah. It'll be great. Uh, all right, Dwayne Johnson announced that Black Adam will be arriving July 29th, 2022. As we've discussed on this pod before, essentially like 15 years in the making since he was first rumored to be linked to the role in like 2007. Yeah, that's wild. So thank God we're finally here. That's all I have to say.
1: Yeah. As we talked about with the Disney dates last week, this feels final.
0: Yeah, exactly. This, this is on board. They're starting production soon. If, if not already, I'm I think, pumped.
1: I think this month as well. Perfect. April. Yeah.
0: And then I have not actually seen Godzilla vs. Kong, but have you, Eric? I did. And, um, you know, I try,
1: you know, given that I work for a site called Bro Bible, I try to, like, have my reviews come from, you know, the common man, the common person, like what I think the average person would want. And when I posted my review, which is more or less meh, I... Um, <laughs>
0: I look you know, forward I, to reading it since I haven't watched
1: it. I think of these, I th- you know, it's brief because that's all this film really deserves, you know. But here's what I wrote, right? Like in Batman v Superman, for better or for worse, they they spend the film's first hour and a half, like making it clear why these two guys want to fight, right? You I have at le- do a
0: good job of it.
1: You have. Okay. Well, <laughs> you at least have some invested I stake think. in like understanding of like what Bruce's beef is. In this, the plot that explains why they fight, and yes, I am aware that you're not going to this film to see plot, and that's totally understandable. But when you are being dragged through such nonsensical subplotting and such cringeworthy dialogue, when you know you're just waiting for a select few fight scenes at the end, you wonder to yourself, like, why can't I just fast forward to the good parts if none of this shit matters? And that's not what I want to be thinking when I sit down to watch a film. Yes, it was loud and colorful and the fight scenes were sick. I mean, they were definitely for as chaotic and destructive as two giant beasts would be the way that they made the fights between the two of them pretty fluid and pretty um, well put together was cool. It was it was what you want to go see this film for. And I'm sure in theaters it would be that much better but all of the other shit is just so fucking brutal that it almost makes the fight scenes not that worth it. I gave it a two and a half of five stars.
0: Where would you rank it among the four film monster verse?
1: I think it's definitely nowhere near as good as the original two. Um, and if you like King of Monsters, I'm sure you'll like this just as much. I mean, I do think that this is probably better than King of Monsters because I find, like, the main character in this is Kong. I like so, that. And I find Kong to be a more compelling, quote-unquote, lead than Godzilla. He's so a,
0: He's a, uh, what are we, mammals? We, we are naturally, like, inclined to uh, relate to mammals more than some reptilian dinosaur. Exactly. Who's and, got a new he
1: clearly is, like, you know, kind of depressed about being taken off his home and shit like that so i think it's probably the third best if you're going to just watch these two fights to this i say then just skip to those scenes because the rest of the stuff is you know bare bones when you see the millie bobby brown brian tyree henry subplot you're gonna lose your fucking mind
0: that's disappointing to hear because it's someone who hated king of the monsters who thought godzilla 2014 was like solid enough and who liked the complete like brazen craziness of Kongstall Island. I thought this I was hoping this would be like a legit turn return to form where like the story could be capable enough of matching the kaiju action and like to hear that is the very point, disappointing.
1: right? Like you don't need I it's it, it's not like I'm saying I expected it to, you know, get a nomination for best adapted <laughs> screenplay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is movies at their core are screenplays. And when yours is fucking garbage, it makes all of the fancy pieces you put around it, no matter how shiny they are, it is an inherently flawed product because at its soul, it's broken. You gotta make me, they do do a good job of making you care about Kong. You do genuinely root for Kong, but beyond that, it's just somebody's gonna cut this down into Godzilla vs. Kong, YouTube comp, and that will be much more fun.
0: All right, well, I will say before we move on, I am at least glad pandemic passed $122 million global opening. You know, nature is healing, even if whatever the fuck is going on in the world of Godzilla vs. Kong is not healing, all these yeah. monsters keep popping up. <laughs>
1: Folks, do you wanna win up to $10,000 writing about pop culture? So do we, that's why we've entered vocals If This Then That Challenge, where you could win up to $10,000. That's seven stimmy checks for writing about the things you love, movies and TV. For example, we just submitted our If You Love Lost, Then Watch Dark. And honestly, we think we could win and with a first place prize of $10,000, second place prize of twenty five hundred dollars and third place prize of $1,000, Who wouldn't want to win? All you have to do is head over to vocal to sign up. The link to enter the contest is in the description of this podcast. So, just go ahead and click that. Now, you're gonna need a premium Vocal Plus membership to sign up and enter the contest. But with the code POSTCRED50, that's POSTCRED50, you can become a Vocal Plus member for just $4.99 to enter to win. And if you win $10,000, that's a drop in the bucket. Now, the contest closes on March 30th, so make sure to get those entries in. And please, don't take if you loved Batman and watch The Dark Knight, because that's my idea.
0: Alright, let's go jump into the Star Spangled Man episode two of The Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney Plus. Eric, I really like that from the jump, this, this episode opened with a focus on John Walker, played by Agent uh Agent, played by Wyatt Russell. And I thought like, you know, in those first couple scenes, we actually get some solid character development. He comes across as a decent enough person who tells his friend and and sidekick that all he wants to do is just just do the job. He's not necessarily interested in all the fluff that surrounds it. And I think over this course of this episode, he proves himself to be a likable dickhead. Like, he's definitely a smarmy, smug dick, but he's also, like, clearly a good enough dude. And I think, you know, the first steps of that is that Walker himself appears on Good Morning of America and kind of talks about his desire to live up to Steve Rogers' mantle and to kind of carry on the legacy and and be that symbol of hope. And uh, like I said, you know, I think it was smart to to open with him rather than our two notable, familiar leads. And all things considered, he seems like a good dude trying to do good in the world, even if again, he can be a smarmy little prick sometimes. And uh, I also figured just based on, on what we see throughout this episode, to me, he was like a peak human being, but not in any way, shape or form altered or enhanced or super.
1: I don't know about that. I think his personality cues at some moments suggest there's more to him that leads on. I think that first scene, you know, it's very obvious what they're trying to do to you, right? They're trying to, and this is something that we talked about in episode one how they're trying to show you that there is a real man behind the mask. That's sort of one of the themes of this series so far, and that he's a real person with hopes and fear and love and not just some corporate robot in a suit and he needed that right because if they didn't give him that we would fucking hate this guy you know like we would i mean look we, at the social we, reaction you know, when he we would out. be like bucky just punch a hole through his fucking <laughs> face and get it over with what are we talking about here and they also further relate him to our heroes cuz just like sam you know you feel him dealing with the weight of the expectation of the shield and that's a very real thing that I'm sure weighed into sam's choice to not Take on the shield, and now he's learning. Now that he has
0: public celebrity element is definitely you know that's difficult.
1: There are some things here that I did find to be interesting about him in a uh, under the surface way. First of all, beardless Wyatt Russell is extremely cursed. It is just an an absolutely. I think
0: they're using that to their advantage, though. I think they know we're all thinking like beard. There's something off about beardless Wyatt (laughs) Wyatt Russell. We're supposed to think there is a little teeter totterness. To this new Captain America. I'm like, you're not Steve.
1: <laughs> he um he also became Captain America in two weeks. I find that extremely sketchy because when um Battlestar walks in, he's like, you know, two weeks ago we were down in Chile doing, you know, something. I'm like, wait a minute, two weeks? Like, how did how did he go through all this training and all this PR and blah blah blah? So
0: not much something- of a vetting process.
1: Yes. Yeah, you know, so Washington about-
0: football team hasn't had a new name for a year and a half. <laughs> this guy two weeks, Captain America. And then
1: when um when he's on Good Morning America, which I think also sort of hammered home how like Cap at the end of the day is a marketing and commercialization device more than anything else, right? He yeah. is at his core propaganda, and that is what right. he is returned to here he's signing toys and there's this whole big production with the band and the dancers and the, and the stage. And so you really get the sense of in the same way that they were trying to outline how the world sort of used and abused the likes of Sam and Bucky. We're getting sort of the inverse of that here, right? Like how they are sucking this resource dry of every dollar that they possibly can. But during this scene, when the newscaster like brings up his remarkably high test scores and all this shit, he sort of cuts her off and like diverges away from exactly how he got his powers. And, and it's more like, I'm not Tony Stark. I'm not Bruce Banner. I've got guts. So he didn't really seem ready to delve into the extent of his power. So I'm going to keep an eye on that going forward.
0: I'm still leaning towards he's just a man, but I, I like what you said about how he's essentially a propaganda symbol And as an extension of that, I was going to mention it later, but I think it works here up top as well. He's exactly where Steve Rogers was to begin with. He's, despite his kind of cheeky sense of humor, he's like a hopeful, idealistic man who is clearly overly proud of being a face of the government, being an extension of the government, which he views as the ultimate good in this world. And I wonder if the show takes him down a similar route as Steve, where we saw, you know, Captain America, especially in modern times, slowly begin to realize the corruption infesting the institutions he had previously put his faith into. And I think even though that might be a rehash of what went through with Steve, it would be interesting to see this play out like, holy shit, everything I thought I believed to be true and everything I thought I was representing it is false and hollow. And I need to strike out and either like join the good guys or join the bad guys as a result. So I'm wondering if that's what they're setting up, because clearly the connections are there to at least to begin with. All right, so obviously, as you said, Bucky is not happy. He's watching his TV, just all sour grump puss as he could be. And I just also want to point out that he's sitting on the floor. He still doesn't have furniture, even though it's been months since he returned. Like It just feeds into like, oh yeah, he's just going to be a grumpy grump puss all the time, which I just love. And he finds Sam, he tells him that like, man, you should have kept the shield. And basically, even though he's a civilian who's been pardoned by the government for being a mass murderer over 90 years, Somehow gets to accompany Sam to Munich where this flag's magic. That's what I wrote down. Where does he come from? He just strolls into this base. And like, dude, there's no way they're going to let the Winter Soldier join this government military mission. They're just not. They're like, yo, you need to go home.
1: Yeah, it's so shoehorned. It was actually shocking to see a Marvel product sort of backdoor in. This very big plot point, like how they meet up. He literally just appeared. Just
0: like, stroll I in there. To, like the airfield <laughs> yeah. like bro you weren't even answering his text like how how did you just get there <laughs> Listen, i know that's a nitpick but like i'm just saying in real in real world they be like if you ever do anything military ever again we're gonna lock you away in jail forever
1: well not even just that the fact that he just sort of like popped up like it was just very <laughs> jarring to me hey sam oh he's like hey buck how are you it was so <laughs> fucking weird
0: so but he does meet up with him because Sam is about to go on a mission to stop the Flag Smashers, whose leader, Carly, uh, is getting some very ominous texts that we see quickly before they basically steal a shipment of medicine. Uh, Then Wilson, with Bucky's help, attack the group. But as we find out, surprise, surprise, all the Flag Smashers are super soldiers who are ready to kick some ass. They overpower the pair. Walker and Lamar Hoskins arrive to help, but the Flag Smashers escape. Also, another, another reason why I think he's just a normal dude is you know he's throwing punch. He's nice with the shield. He's nice with the pistol. But he's throwing punches that the flag smashers are catching and just twisting his bones. And he's like, "Uh oh, yeah, uh oh, I'm in true. over my head."
1: True. Good point. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> there's something here that I just had to point out because just last week when I gave them credit for that they made Red Wings somewhat cool and not like the yeah. butt, the the butt of a joke. Sam goes back to calling it a he this week, and. I just can't abide by that. I just, I refuse to let this one fucking slide. I can't have him referring to this drone as if it's a pet. I like, just you, bothers the shit out of me.
0: Did you feel similarly about Jarvis or Friday?
1: No, because those are like AI. They're like thinking beings, or not beings, but they're thinking. They're thinking machines. They have thoughts.
0: If Red, Red Ring had a process, voice, would you feel differently? even if it was all mechanical. Like, yes, able- Sam, I will go do that.
1: Is it able to is it now we're so in the fucking weeds with this. Um <laughs> is it able to like is it like Siri or is it like more like Jarvis?
0: That's a good question. It's maybe split the difference between a Siri and a Jarvis.
1: <laughs> then uh no, I still have a problem with him calling it he. I just I don't hey. think I don't think Tony ever called Jarvis like my boy Jarvis. You know, yeah, but, but like that's
0: let's be just... real. Tony didn't have feelings until he was like a thirty-eight-year-old man on like the path to redemption.
1: True. So I just couldn't <laughs> let that one slide. But I do think we're building towards red wing or a new red wing since this one got fucking smashed yeah. to bits this week. Saving Bucky's life. For sure. Time. That's a hundred percent a great call. We're just working towards that. So what do I have here? Oh, the uh did you catch that the whole like their whole back and forth bit on the plane where they're trying to talk about a plan as an obvious homage to Avengers One when Tony and Cap yeah. are first, you know, figuring out the dynamics of how they're gonna work as a pair. And uh so that was a very clear I do have
0: a plan. Comma attack,
1: yeah. I um, I love just like in the pilot, how they gave us these close up shots of Bucky in therapy or Sam while he's flying. They do that again, here, these real like almost as if it's a zoom cam, you know, yeah. just like straight up right in their face, personal. And I like the way that those camera shots both feed into the comedic and dramatic dynamics of their chemistry and tension and how it really sort of, you feel like you're in the middle of them, right? Right. Like it's the two parents fighting and you're just like trying to fucking just shrink away from it. And now that they're finally together, we're getting into, you know, what I think is the best part of the show so far, their comedic, dramatic chemistry, tension, flow, vibe is excellent you know i wonder if the whole reason that this show came to be was when they were filming civil war, war and they realized oh my god these two are great together and that boils itself down to that white panther joke which i would suggest is pound for pound one of the funniest punchlines in the mcu to date especially if you consider bucky's equally excellent response where he's like no it's the white wolf like if you look <laughs> at that if you if you look at that as a whole and then compare it to other like joke constructions set up punchline in the mcu <laughs> that's up there man
0: the buddy cop banter between the two is clearly one of the strongest elements of this show and i tweeted right after the episode on friday like very rigs and murtaugh types of vibes from this episode very lethal weapon-esque which i loved and uh, I would say the, what was great is because they balanced this out with good drama, like you said. I think that therapy scene was fantastic. You know, Bucky finally says, the truth comes out. If Steve was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. So what's really driving Bucky here is the f- fear that Steve's faith in him was misplaced and that everything he already believes himself about himself, that he's unworthy of redemption and a second chance is true. And so I like that layering into not only his own self-esteem, but why he's so contentious with Sam to begin with. And I thought that was just a really good package of thematic feelings. And like you said, it's just on top of like, fine, we'll never work together. Like, fine, good with me. Like, clearly they're going to be like such a bromance by the end of this.
1: I found myself surprisingly moved by Bucky's motivation for sure. he's vulnerable. I did not see that coming. Therapy's
0: working for him.
1: Yeah, I did not see that coming.
0: But I want to ask you something. Who do you think Carly was texting that was threatening her? And is that, oh, we getting into a Mephisto situation? We're like, ooh, is there a bigger Big Bad? Or are we just reading way too much into this?
1: Because of the Super Soldier Serum Hydra connections, is it Zemo? Is Zemo trying to create his own Super Soldier army to take down
0: superheroes? But we know Zemo's locked up right now. Like, Has he, he got, that, a, got that an AT&T mean, texting plan?
1: That doesn't mean he can't fire off texts or has someone doing it for him, but like, why you think that it's a tie into another villain
0: entirely? Perhaps a new villain. I I'm just not sh- sold that it's uh Zemo right now. And, and we can get to more so what our Zemo thoughts are later. All right. So Walker basically picks these guys up after this battle and the bad guys get away. And he wants to work with uh, Bucky and Sam, but they refuse. And I have to admit, even while uh, Walker can be Pretty much a pretentious dick at times. I do think he says the right things and telling them, like, listen, man, I know this must be hard. I'm not trying to replace Steve. I'm just trying to do a, a, a good job. So I, I actually thought he handled that more or less okay. Uh, meanwhile, Carly and the flag smashers take refuge, but Carly, again, receives a text saying, you know, you took what was mine. I'm going to find you and kill you. So that's clearly going to be a whole subplot that's going to be uh, developed more. Switching over to Baltimore, Bucky introduces Wilson to Isaiah Bradley, a veteran super soldier who fought the Winter Soldier in the Korean War. And I believe what they said is that he's the one who ripped off Bucky's real arm and got him replaced with a, with a, with a, was that what they said or did I mishear that?
1: Oh, he ripped off a previous metal arm.
0: Okay, so even more badass, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's that's badass. Um, Bradley refuses to help them uncover information about additional super soldiers because... For all of his work on behalf of the government, he was imprisoned and experimented on by government anhydrous for 30 years. Um, out on the street, basically Bucky and Sam are arguing now loudly and police roll by and racially profile Sam. They ask, they ask Bucky, is this guy bothering you? And I again, I, I thought this whole exchange was strong for multiple reasons. I really like, as I said last week for the p- pilot episode, they are continuing to focus on racial issues in modern America. And I think it gives the MCU a more sophisticated point of view overall. This isn't SJW virtue signaling. It's the most realistic depiction of systemic operations and racial disparity in America. And Isaiah's existence raises the question of how many other super soldiers are out there and why certain ones are treated the way they are. And I think Sam sees him as a cautionary tale that he doesn't want to see, you know, kind of befall him and he's disgusted with the the treatment of isaiah who clearly was working on behalf of the government and then to follow that up with a you know a confrontation with the police outside who only when they realize he is the equivalent of a you know famous celebrity they're like oh mr wilson i'm so sorry it just falls into the trap of uh, how much we let our preconceived notions dictate our behavior and realities and I, i think it's genuinely a strong subplot that i hope continues throughout the show Also, it really did look like Isaiah, who's clearly, you know, an an older man in real life, like did look like back in the day that guy was ripping arms off. Yeah, I was was stout
1: for sure. Yeah, I think that this was the best combo of scenes in the series so far. Um, I did think the Sam thing was a little ham-fisted. While I think that the thematics are great and the ideas that they're trying to broach are great, The way that they introduced it to the plot, like the fact that they were just like walking down the street and the cop did the very, not simple, but it's just like, hey, stop, what's going on here? Sort of the way that like Bucky just sort of showed up, the way that the cops sort of appeared into that moment to push them towards the conversation that they were wanting to talk about, where they could have easily had a conversation about race, about Isaiah, they could have delved into all the themes about society and heroes and black versus white, while talking about Isaiah and why he was a secret and why he went to jail. But instead, they went for this sort of, you know, um, simple, shoehorned-in classic. Which again, and I get that, you know, the fact that it is classic is a problem. This does happen; they do just get rolled up on for no reason. But they had this rich racial conversation that they could have had right there. I was like, yes. Sam, I agree. How did you not know about Bradley? Why didn't Cap know? These are great questions. Why did he be treated like this? They swept that away immediately. So I was definitely bummed that they chose to tackle the the in-the-moment racism that is oppressing Sam rather than the decades-long racism that oppressed Isaiah
0: see i disagree i actually think they're drawing a parallel and making a point to show that everything that isaiah had to go through and stand up against which i'm sure is going to be explored more later in the series i do not think that was probably a one and done is still happening it is cyclical nothing has changed 30 40 years later when sam is is supposedly existing in a much more tolerant uh society so i think bringing it back around to two characters separated by entire generation are still adhe- uh, being subjected, subjected to this same type of treatment is actually a potent statement. And I think, listen, I understand what you mean in terms of like hand fisted, but I-, I disagree because precisely that is the most common complaint against you know urban uh, police is that they are racially profiling for for p- kids walking home from school or or people getting off the bus just walking to their apartments. It is as mundane as it occurs right then and there for as, sure, as random sure. and pop up. So I actually thought it really worked, but I do, I get where you're coming from. And my, my hope is that they will come back to the Isaiah conversation. I would guess right now that he's going to pop back up in this show before the end of the six episodes. Yeah,
1: I just felt like Sam's feelings about being lied to about Isaiah and how that recontextualizes how he feels about himself as a government employed hero was more rich ground, especially considering that the Sam character is one that we've known for so long, then the police stop gone wrong.
0: That's fair. I disagree. But I respect your, your point of view. We'll see how they handle it moving forward. I
1: definitely want them to go back into Bradley, though, and explain more about, or just, you know, even show, yeah. you know, show us this fight even. Oh, I wish.
0: I just like that. I think this couples well. The, the Sam interaction with police today with the bank manager, uh, interaction. For and sure. this is just completely anecdotal. And like, I, I can't extrapolate any like type of like serious point of view from this, but prior to COVID anytime, you know, I was interviewing talent for as part of my job as, you know, the, the entertainment reporter at observer, a lot of these would be in person, like at hotel bars or like thing, you know, things of that nature for like junkets and stuff. And what I found over the course of doing dozens of those over, you know, inner, you know, countless times is, if we were in a public place, we were much more likely to be interrupted by a passerby if the if the, the talent that I was interviewing was black. Like someone would be like, oh, like are you Tessa Thompson? Like, can I like take a picture with you? Like in the middle of like a conversation two people are having to this to this person. And it rarely happened with with white celebrities. And so I, I just think they're kind of capturing that same vibe. And like the bank manager scene really reminded me of that. And this I feel like is an extension. True. Oh. And again, that's anecdotal, you know. I, I, yeah, I don't but still,
1: know. it still counts. All
0: right. So, ironically, Bucky is the one who's actually arrested from this uh, police interaction because there's a warrant out, of, out for his arrest for missing his therapy appointment. But Walker, and all his star-spangled smugness, rolls in and basically has him released by the power of the government. And once again, Bucky, uh, Bucky, and Sam refuse to work with Walker and his sidekick Battlestar, and ultimately. Bucky's plan is like, okay, if we're not going to work with them right now, we're going to do our own thing. Then let's go visit the imprisoned Zemo played by Daniel Broll from Captain America Civil War to get some more information on like why there's super soldiers going on out there and what the hell's happening. And so my takeaway from this and bringing it back to what we said about Zemo up front, the reason I don't think he's the one texting Carly is perhaps I'm wondering if Zemo and Bucky and Sam create a temporary alliance to work together to bring down this new super group, and then, like, at the end, he either betrays them or, like, you know, so- something happens that splits them up again. But I'm wondering if for-, or for the purposes of the first couple episodes, he might be acting as if he's like, okay, I'll help you.
1: I mean, first couple were already 33% done with the series, though.
0: Yeah, but, like, you know, they just introduced him. Now he's got, like, four episodes to fuck around before yeah. making his move. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that uh, sort of one of the lines from this ending here that caught me most was how John Walker views Bucky and to some extent Stan- Sam the same way that the people in the MCU do where these heroes are used and abused and once they have no need for you, they move on, i.e. He says about Bucky, word for word, he's too valuable of an asset to be tied up. So that and that's sort of hammering home what the show is trying to get into is who these men are behind the mask and the type of person that they've become. And Bucky being seen as, you know, this is as as human as he's ever been, at least in the context of of how long we've known him in the MCU. And for Walker to just still see him as, oh, an asset who could who despite the fact that you know as we've pointed out help save the galaxy is still just you know how can i use him to help my goal right now that's it
0: but at the same time i can't blame him for viewing winter soldier that way like not only is the winter soldier an asset but like i'm i just it doesn't matter if you help save the galaxy like to me like i'm i'm in the of, of the camp that like bucky should be in jail I know it's not his fault. I know he was brainwashed. I know Bucky Barnes himself is not a bad person, but like you just can't murder high value targets for ninety years and have zero consequences. I'm sorry, you know he's just know. walking around, you... usually going on dates. Like nah. Well, no,
1: I, I mean I think the problem is they should take his fucking arm from
0: him. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that would be a, good a regular arm. I don't. Get that it. would be a
1: good start. Uh, and then we got to talk about the therapy standoff scene, which is something that they teased in the trailers heavily i tweeted i did not know sebastian stan could act like this i really didn't
0: uh i guess i guess we'll we'll come back around to that when we get to what what is your worst part about as a episode? full picture because not only
1: has he had good comedic dry timing and wit but i thought he was good in this scene for sure why you you uh okay
0: I'm not in love with either lead as, as actors, but they're clearly much more talented than I'll ever be. Right? So, you know, all right, you want to hop into these awards and categories? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Infinity Gauntlet award for the real MVP. Fine. I'll do it myself. Here I'm going with uh writer, Michael Castellane, and I'm probably butchering that name cause I always do, but deal with it (laughs) i think he like i said brings a great lethal weapon vibe to this episode while still carving out compelling room for agent walker and expansion for both bucky and sam's kind of essential character threads that were set up in the pilot you know it, it was a coalescing of multiple good ingredients
1: my uh, MVP award, I am going with Bucky's combat boots slash his elite ray of coats. My man is getting off fits while kicking ass, <laughs> which is extremely hard to do, especially since most of these MCU heroes usually look pretty goofy. Falcon looks goofy, Cap looks goofy, Bucky looks sleek as hell, man. So that man and his sense of style. Oh, also, I like and then as I said, Sebastian Stan himself. I think he's doing great work in the show. Comedic dry time, like dry humor and line reading, like that is not easy, I don't think. So the fact that he's able to do that and then also have a character who has literally been robotic for the last seven, eight years, to as we said, how we are found ourselves surprisingly moved with his motivations and feeling the ways that he does towards Sam and and that he gave up the shield. He's backing up those legit motivations with what I think is a performance above what I thought he could do. <laughs> All
0: right, well, Thor the Dark World Award for worst performance. You needn't have come so far, as guardian; Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. You- I'm gonna go complete the other way. Uh, like I said, they're more talented than I will ever be, and I don't knock the hustle, but I really don't think Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are dynamic enough to be leading men in their own right outside of something like this, where they're paired together. I don't think either are particularly strong on screen presences that are kind of versatile and, you know, all encompassing, but I do think Mackie is clearly charismatic and energetic and Sam was decent and Sebastian Stan was decently funny in hot tub time machine, but neither for me can really kind of sell the, the more emotional moments of the show but that's, that's not something I, I dock as heavily because they are boosted by my familiarity and affinity for the MCU and their characters. And then I also just want to say the Flag Smasher development. Like, I could do without a single other scene featuring them talking and not just kicking ass for the entire show. Like, don't care. Get it. They're the bad guys. Don't waste too much time on it. Yeah.
1: Uh, for my Thor The Dark World for the Wars performance, I'm going with Red Wing. Um, <laughs> For as long as as it is referred to as he, he's going to be on my Jared Leto tenant shit list. Um, And it serves them right that it was how John Walker was able to track them down. So not only was it the source of Falcon and Bucky being trapped, but then it got smashed to bits regardless. So just an abysmal, (laughs) abysmal performance this week
0: the jarvis award for best performance by anyone except the lead actor
1: allow me to introduce myself i am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence and i'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best i can That's super easy
0: i'm going with wyatt russell personally
1: oh wow
0: he, listen and, and this is this is what i meant when we were talking about it before he looks disorienting without a beard which i think the show is using to its advantage we are supposed to think at this point like yeah he's, he's a likable dick but he seems to be doing Doing the right thing, but there's certainly a layer. There, like when when he's having that exchange with uh, Bucky, and I cannot remember the particular insult Bucky says, but it strikes a, a specific nerve with John Walker more so than any other of the insults they've hurled at each other throughout this episode. And I think you know there there is more to be peeled away throughout the rest of the show. And I think Wyatt Russell's doing a good job.
1: I'm going with Carl Lumbly as Isaiah Bradley.
0: It was really good. Great
1: scene. That to me was the best scene in this show so far, and his performance has a lot to do with that.
0: All right, the Tony Stark Exposition Award, aka the Star Lord Who Award, for shit that we need smart people to explain to us further. Hey, you know what? There's another name you might know me by.
1: Star Lord. Who?
0: Star Lord, man, legendary outlaw. Uh, for me, the U.S. government's rogue super soldier program, like. Okay, so Isaiah's just been, like, around for 40 years. Other people have been around. The Flag Smashers have access. Like, what the fuck is going on? It's not a tightly kept secret. Clearly, there are, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of people in warehouses full of super soldier serum. Like, I I just need to know, like, what the hell is going on with this centralized? Like, yeah, we can make literally anybody a superhero anytime for, like, 100 years.
1: I really do hope they delve into that further. I have my doubts, but... All right, I need John Walker's power set explained to me further. Is he just an athlete? Like, I, is that I, what they're- I think
0: tra- he's a peak human being, but not super.
1: Okay, well, that's not good enough for me.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, you know, he, just by definition, he'd be a worse Cap in America. Right. You know, like, you know, Cap Cap could like hold a helicopter with one hand.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Major That's who downgrade. I
0: want as Captain America. Not yeah, some guy who's just like, yo, I can throw a real nice spiral 80 yards.
1: Major downgrade, yeah. <laughs> All
0: right, the time stone that real quick. We aka okay, rewind that real quick. Sorcerer is just a wizard without a hat. Think about it. I don't get it, yet it's hilarious.
1: I do like that line. I have a joke line as well, and I actually rewound this scene. Bucky's reaction to learning that Lamar Hoskins superhero name was battlestar was fucking hilarious like i cackled out loud it was like battlestar and just stops for a stop out,
0: the Tom. car yeah. He's
1: like, get me the fuck out of here i cannot sit next to this guy for another second with this preposterous name
0: i love it uh put this in odin's vault award aka put that in the museum odin's treasures fake this stuff in here is fake uh, I say, again, the MCU grappling with the real world in a way that feels timely and tangible. You know, I, I think there are only so many blockbusters starring arrogant white guys who love to quit. that I could pretend hold deeper meaning within the greater MCU franchise. And I'm glad they're starting to not only expand the demographic that this appeals to, but expand the coverage and focus and, and, and thematics of it. Because, you know, what is this? Like 10 different movies have been like, oh, it's about loss. And I'm like, okay, we get it. You have a one-note kind of style MCU, and now it feels like there's actual diversity of storytelling, not just talent.
1: For my put this in Odin's vault, I'm going with Redwing getting smashed a fucking bed.
0: <laughs> Redwing, really uh, no, Jared but, Leto. but
1: but really, I'm going with Bucky's motivation as to why he's so upset with Sam. I found that to be super profound
0: and and very well earned. And I I kept thinking that. Uh, do you watch This Is Us at all? No. OK, just long story short, our boy Milo Ventimiglia, who's been in like a bunch of things. He's just nice. He plays Jack Pearson, the mate, the patriarch of a family who unfortunately uh, dies when the kids are young. And like 30 years later, like they're still fucking hung up on him and everything. Not that you can't be after the loss of a parent, but he looms large in their lives. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, Steve is like the Jack Pearson to Sam and Bucky, like even gone. He's like, oh, the emotional <laughs> gravitational center of their entire <laughs> life. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, uh, all right, the cap lifts the hammer award for best hero moment. I knew it. Um, this is a little bit nebulous of an answer, but I just like Sam and Bucky working together. Like the fact that they're able to put aside their differences and, and the tension to accomplish a mission that they both find equally important. Right on. Like you, 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 you team up, you guys, you go do it.
1: Yeah, for me, it's the story of Isaiah being like, we heard rumors about him being on the island, but everyone they sent to kill him, you know, didn't come back. So they dropped me in there, and I tore his fucking arm off and kicked his ass.
0: But why didn't is- finish the job? That's that's been my question since I watched it. What? Why didn't he? I the didn't finish the he
1: job? job. Oh, yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I hope they delve into that. T- like, I would love to get that flashback scene of him doing yeah. that. That would be fucking sick.
0: And also, if, like, 74-year-old Harrison Ford can beat people up in Blade Runner 2049, we could get one scene of old man Isaiah knocking somebody out, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. I want to see
0: that. All right, what's the worst thing you can say about this episode, Eric?
1: I don't really have any this week. I actually think that this one is better than the first one.
0: All right, well, I'm actually in the opposite. I think it's a very enjoyable, good episode, but a step down from last week in terms of the deeply character-centric individual past. And I think on top of that, the uncompelling platform for the Flag Smashers, who I just could not care less about, who I think kind of halted the momentum of the episode, you know, just a little bit worse. But I still really liked it. And and two episodes in, I'm I'm pretty jazzed on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Same. All right. What's the nicest thing you can say about it, Eric?
1: I think that this episode contains the series is and i know that the, that's not saying much so far but the series is best moment yet that isaiah bradley i mean that actor you could just like i was like dude i feel your pain despite having literally none of the same shared experience as a 75 year old black korean war vet yeah. <laughs> Like, dude i feel your pain right now like i totally i i feel how upset you are that was intense
0: powerful stuff he was emanating gravitas for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm similar. The mature storytelling of those middle uh, bits, you know, with with Isaiah, and then the scene immediately after. I thought that was great. It's compelling. It's different from typical MCU focus, and the fact that they could sandwich that in between some some solid action and and really good buddy cop humor, like hell yeah, all right, stuff we think is cool that needs mentioning. Uh, in the first episode, the pilot, I did not know this. I had to actually found out about it on Mr. Sunday Movies. Uh, in the first episode, there's a news article at the Captain America Museum that says the government, who who we know, do not know where Steve Rogers is or what happened. But because they don't know, they have told the public that he retired and is out of public sight. So that is what like the the public believes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. I saw that on Mr. Sunday Movies. I was like, oh, cool that. Although, would, imagine like you know, you and I exist in the MCU. Wouldn't we be like, well, even if he's retired, isn't it weird that he's not like publicly available to help with the transition and like symbolically pass off the shield? Like that's curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So the band music is actually the same from Steve Rogers War Bonds tour in Cap One. It's the same tune. Just it's like called, modernized, but yeah.
0: That's cool. That's yeah. a cool find. I like that. And then one.
1: when John Walker comes to quote unquote, save them, that's also captain America's MCU theme song, but I think it's tweaked just a bit.
0: That's cool. That's a nice little touch. Cause we know he, he hasn't, he's not worthy. He's not Mjolnir or wielding worthy. Yeah, right. All right. Let's head to our Twitter questions at uh, Skylar Schuler, Who's a friend of the pod. He's the uh, editor in chief of the Diz Insider says do you think we could see battlestar in his comic accurate suit by the end of the series uh, i think we know from toy leaks that uh sam wilson will be in a comic accurate costume by the end of the series so maybe battlestar like I- i'm someone who couldn't care less about comic accurate costumes like yeah, same I'm, here. i'm the guy who says the black leather and x-men is way more practical than like their yellow and blue suits
1: I mean, as long as it further hammers home how much of a fucking cornball the guy is, then please.
0: (laughs) We're at West, his name's Wesley and it's West Nins Day, like Wednesday, but West Day. I can't really pronounce it so so well. (laughs) But he goes, the therapist dot, dot, dot is someone we can trust. I, I think so. I also think it would send a really bad, like, subtle message if, like, episode five, they're like, the therapist was Hydra all along. I <laughs> just, I don't think that's a good con, you know, sub. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Mental health
1: is bad. No, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. That would not be a good look.
0: <laughs> I, I think she's probably just trying to help and, like, do her job. Yeah. Uh, at the real KVD, do we think we'll get an explanation for Zemo's hood? Will they play it as a nod to Thanos? theory bucky and sharon sitting in a tree um okay so that's a two-parter that i didn't realize when i started reading it um i don't know he might just be like i need to cover my face i I don't know interesting though i really like
1: that idea i don't he zemo doesn't strike me as the type of dude who would be paying homage to a a purple spaceman but i do like the idea
0: and you guys got to remember in civil war he's introduced as a normal elite soldier who is going after them for revenge because oh, his entire family died in Sokovia. Like, I don't think he was like a super villain or a superhero before he was just like, Oh, I'm really good at, you know, doing what my army needs me to do. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to be like, yeah, Thanos, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think he gives a shit. If anything, he probably doesn't like Thanos.
1: And then as for the theory, I mean, Sharon Carter hasn't even showed up yet. So for the, for them to introduce a romantic plot line and, the back half of this season would be probably not great. And especially considering they already did that weird Sharon, Steve thing that they didn't really pursue all that much in civil war. I doubt they'll go down that road. Like
0: I'd rather much, I'd much rather episode six, like Bucky has like gotten his redemption. He's gotten past his emotional blockage. And like, you just see a quick shot of him going back to the sushi restaurant. He goes, Second chance, and she just smiles like, "Oh, you rascal!"
1: Or he just signs on Tinder, and it's like, "All right,
0: <laughs> yeah, it. exactly. I'm ready. I'm ready to swipe."
1: I, yeah, I have confident to swipe. <clears throat> All right,
0: final parting thoughts,
1: Eric. Uh, we're, like I said, we're already 33 done with the series, which leads me to believe next week's is going to be a big one. I think we've been relatively understated and low key so far. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to change.
0: And I think, as we saw with Mandalorian, where you and I expressed concern, I believe is either episode two or episode three. We're like, guys, we haven't even seen Grand Moff like Gideon, like the main antagonist. What is going on? And then ultimately, I think that the back half was stellar. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not worried yet. And I'm very much liking what they're doing.
1: And also, we will be going back to our Friday pod going forward these first two weeks. We've just been crazy shit going on around here. But so we'll, we'll go back to our usual Friday around 2 or 3 o'clock podcast.
0: Yeah, in the meantime, follow us at Pod. Leave us a five-star review on Apple, if you don't mind. And, uh, you know, come with good questions next week. We love them.
1: All right, y'all. Talk to you later. I'm going to make yeah. them all, Peace, yeah.
0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.